Thank you, Stuarts and, um, and the Oxfords that lit our candle of love last week. It just it feels like a gift to have uh, these stories shared with us, right? Like we get to be part of a family that um, holds these stories and walks with these people, and it's just a, a beautiful thing. It, it all ties in so well um, to what we're doing this Advent season. So if I, if I haven't met you, I'm, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and, um, and uh, we're, we're welcome. If you're, if you're visiting here, we're like really glad to have you here with us, and um, this Advent season, we're uh, walking through um, our kind of typical uh, Advent stuff. We're getting ready for the return of Christ, and the theme is, is Emmanuel, which is, you know, pretty straightforward. It's, it's about as Christmassy as it gets to focus on Emmanuel, but that, the idea, the word is, it means God with us. Um, and so what we're trying to do this season is, many of you are in, like, uh, just phenomenal, like you're never happier than when it rains, you're never like cheerier than when it's Christmas and it's cold and everything. And so some of you are just like crushing it and I'm so happy for you. I'm like, that's me. I'm like, I'm doing great. So if you ever need a little, a little like hug and a, and a go get them and everything's great, like come, come hang out with me. Um, a lot of you, I think, are in a spot where things are tougher than that. And, and maybe that's just, you know, how it is right now. Uh, maybe you've got a diagnosis that's similar to some of the things that we've heard. Um, Maybe there's depression that comes around every time of year, or maybe this is a new thing for you. Maybe there's family dynamics that are really tricky. Maybe there's work things that are impossible. Um, whatever it is, there's all of these things that come. And, and so as we talk about Emmanuel, what we're trying to do this Christmas season is look at the reality of Emmanuel in a less triumphalistic way than we tend to typically do. So, so for me, um, one, one of my favorite uh, athletes, as I think you guys know, is Stephen Curry. And, um, and he's just, you know, a guy that, like, models his game similar to, to how I do. And so I just really, like, uh, relate to him. And he, um, he, he, on his basketball shoes, he writes Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, what an amazing uh, verse, right? And for Paul to just be in there and just saying, like, this is it, like anything, I can handle it because Christ is going to give me strength. And uh, there is a, a approach to the Christian life that looks at that and it's like, that's it. Like the promotion, uh, the house, the family, the, uh, the spirituality, like I can do it because Christ is going to help me to succeed in everything that I'm doing. Um, unfortunately, what comes with that a lot of times is an approach to life that is, it's about the goals, right? It's about, okay, I have these goals and I want to achieve them and I want life to be good in this sense. And so Christ will help me do that, right? So we lean into our spirituality and we lean into the concept of Emmanuel because with God, I can do these things that I want to do. The stories we're looking at in this Advent series are more about God being with us when those other things are not present and they're not fixed and life is not okay. Um, and so if you're, if you're like me and you're doing great, you're just going to have to use your imagination. Um, a bunch of you are, are like, yes, that is what I need is the, the reminder and the pre about the presence of Christ in my life when things are rough and falling apart and don't make sense. Last week, we looked in Genesis 2 and 3, and we saw the reality of Emmanuel, of God with us in the garden. And man, they were with, Adam and Eve were with God in the garden. Um, but then as they uh, ate the fruit of the tree, and as they, they sinned and rebelled, they were away from God, and they felt the absence of God. But no sooner had they felt that alienation and loss than God was there pursuing them, coming to them. Uh, they hear the sound of him walking. They hear him calling out to them. And the idea of Emmanuel is restored. They didn't get the garden back but they got the presence of God with them as they um, walked out of the garden into this crazy new world. This morning, we're going to go just a little bit further in the book of Genesis, and we're going to go into Genesis chapter 16. So if you have your Bible and want to open it with me, that's great. Um, otherwise, I'll put the verses on the screen. Um, here, we're going to look at the, the story of 
Hagar. Um, and, and maybe you're really familiar with that, maybe not. Hagar is a really minor character in the book of Genesis and in the Bible. The, the story is actually about Abraham. And so he covers from like chapter 12 to chapter 25. You get Abraham, and he's, he's the, the patriarch. He's the father of our faith. There's all these amazing things that God did through Abraham. But Hagar is this minor character that shows up in the story. And I think she's here to remind us of Emmanuel, the fact that God is with us. So here's what's happening in the story. This is um, chapter 16. We'll start in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife. Now I'm just going to pause real quick. I'm sorry. Sarai and Abram, their names change in the course of the story we're going to look at to Sarah and Abraham. So I'm going to just say it any way that I can, and you guys will have to just put the pieces together. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, to, uh, to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. We'll just pause right there. Um, so here's, here's the story. God had prior to this, in, Je- in Genesis chapter 12, God had made this sweeping huge promise to Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. Um, in Genesis 15, he has him like look up at the stars of the sky and he's like, if you can count those, you can count the number of kids that I'm going to give you in this world. And so this amazing promise to Abraham that like everything, like you're, you're going to be so significant. All these people, all these generations are going to just, just flow from you and who you are. And so there's this amazing promise of kids and, and descendants and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through Abraham. It's huge. But when you get to Genesis chapter 16, here's Sarah and here's Abraham, and they're getting pretty old. And they're sitting there, and God's promise of all these kids hasn't even come true once. They don't even have a kid. And Sarah's sitting here, and she's saying, okay, God, like, you made this promise, but we're not experiencing it, so how are we going to get this done? And so the the reason I titled it this, don't name it and claim it, is their their approach, their plan was, um, okay, God made this promise. He wants it to be real. Let's make this happen. So they claim the promise, and they make it happen. And Sarah's plan is simple. I've got this, this servant, this slave girl. Why don't we make her your wife? We'll have a kid that way. What could make more sense, and this will all work out? Now, I'm just going to tell you guys right now before you even see how the story goes, if your wife ever tries to get you to marry somebody else as well, don't do it. It's just, it just doesn't work. Um, I think this is like, this is like this, this totally, like as soon as you see the setup coming, you're like, oh, this is not going to work out, you guys. Like this is not the plan. And so they go, and, and what's interesting is the author of Genesis, as they write this, we looked at the story in Genesis 3 of Adam and, I- Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. And, and you see um, the plan they went. I think the author of Genesis is intentionally mirroring that here. Um, you can see these parallels uh, between Genesis— Oh, sorry, I put Genesis 1. That's Genesis 3 is what it's supposed to be. Um, the woman speaking to the serpent. Now here's Sarah saying to Abram, she takes its fruit. She takes Hagar, right? Uh, Eve takes some, gives it to her husband. Uh, Sarah takes some, gives it to her husband. They listen to it. So I think it's, it's, it's a parallel story, and it's meant to show us how off track um, things are getting here. And it's a mirror story, the same one we went down. So it's, the, the good thing is God made this promise of kids and descendants. The bad thing is that Sarah and Abram are sitting there getting nervous about, okay, God, you promised these things, but shouldn't we have seen the reality of that promise by now? What are we going to do to fix this? And when they step in, it's just this ham-fisted attempt at, like, getting God's promises to become reality. And, and for me, that's, like, so relatable, right? Because I, I, like, I like to problem solve. I like to have a plan. And so it's like, okay, God, you're going to do this thing? I can see how this will play out. Let's do it. 
Um, I shared this with you guys a, a few uh, weeks ago when we were finishing up Ecclesiastes, but there, there's this church with, with, in Spain with uh, a painting of Jesus, a hundred-year-old painting of Jesus on the wall, and it's beautiful, but it was getting damaged, and so this sweet little old lady in the church volunteered her services, came in late at night when no one was around with her paints, and fixed the painting, and this is it. I, I can't even tell you guys how many times a day I think about this painting. It's just like a thing for me, so you might have to see it a few more times. Um, but it just, it just feels like, it just feels like, okay, she, she came in like, okay, I'm going to fix it, right? But it, it makes it into something worse, right? Something really problematic and something kind of hilarious, right? That's what's happening here is they're, 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 they're going to make it happen for God. They're going to, they know God's promises. They can see and understand them and they're going to step in those promises and make those things a reality. And in doing that, um, they come to a point where they're, man, just the whole thing, uh, the wheels fall off. You know, it's like, it's like the Big Mac in the picture versus the Big Mac that actually serve you. You guys know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't, like, turn out the way that you hope it would, you know? Um, you guys know. Stop acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, here's, here's where the story goes from here. Here's, here's the fallout of this. Uh, in, in verse 4, when Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when you saw that she had conceived, she looked with, on me with contempt. May the, Lord's judge, may the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Now, I'm just going to say, Abram, Abraham is an amazing guy. He's like a great character in the story. But, um, but he's, he's a total like weak, like weirdo in this story. And um, I do feel a little compassion for him in like Sarah comes up with this plan of like a second wife and everything. And Abram's like, I'm cool with it, I guess, you know, and rolls with it. And then now she's like, look what you've done. And, you know, he's just, so I don't know. I don't know the right answer. They shouldn't have done any of it, you know. Um, but here's Hagar, and Hagar is like a really lovely character. I really connect and relate with Hagar in this whole thing. But here we see, okay, when she, when she gets pregnant, and her, her mistress, uh, Sarah, cannot get pregnant. She gets pregnant. She, she starts to gloat, right? So she looks with contempt. She looks down. This is a society where your wealth, uh, your value as a woman comes from your ability to bear kids. And so Hagar comes. So I, I want us to see clearly She's not an angel in the story. She's not perfect. She's not guiltless. Okay, I think she's amazing, and, and I really think there's so much we will learn from her. But she is exactly like every other character in the entire Bible, aside from Jesus, where she's flawed. And there's things that we can learn, and there's great lessons, but there's also a whole lot of brokenness. And we see she kind of brings this on herself in how she's acting. And so her brokenness comes to the front. We see in this Sarah's brokenness. So Sarah is, in, as I said, in this, in this society where your worth is determined by your ability to have kids. And you can see her vulnerability. You can see her insecurity. And she's sitting here. And then when the reality of it comes, and here comes this child from this other woman, like she lashes out in her pain, right? And she's going to now destroy Hagar's life in the midst of it. In fact, what it, what it says is she, um, she dealt harshly with Hagar. That, that term for dealt harshly is used later in Exodus 1 when it's talking about um, Israel being enslaved in Egypt, and they dealt harshly with the slaves. This is what uh, Sarah, an Israelite woman with an Egyptian slave, deals harshly with her servant. There's this reversal that's going to come later, but she's definitely lashing out, and it's not great. Um, and so I think we can, we can kind of resonate on any side of this, right? I mean, we still live in a society where uh, women feel this pull, this, hear this lie about their value attached to their fertility, and there's this wounding, and there's this insecurity, and so it leads to a place where now Hagar is like, 
There's nothing I can do. Um, and she runs for her life. She flees out into the wilderness. Um, a really hopeless place for Hagar to be. I think we're meant to think of Adam and Eve uh, being exiled from the garden. Here comes Hagar out of it. So what happens from here? She's in exile. We're going to get a glimpse of Emmanuel. And I'm going to show you, we're going to get a few glimpses of the idea of Emmanuel in this section. So here, here she is in verse 7 now. Hagar's out in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. So God finds Hagar. Hagar is on this road. Uh, she's on this path. And, and this road leads back to Egypt. Like geographically, that's what's happening. So it's like she's Egyptian. She's running back. She's going to go back home to Egypt. Presumably she left Egypt because things weren't great there and, and went to this life of slavery. But she's going back. But when God asks her, like meets her and asks her, where are you going? She, she can't even like answer that question. All she says is, I'm running from this whole situation. I'm fleeing my mistress. There's this whole problem where it's like, it's not about where she's going to, it's about what she's running from. And this is the place I want us to see. This is the place where we see Emmanuel in the story. This is where God comes to Hagar. Not when she's cleaned things up, not when she's got everything working great, not when she like uh, made the coffee and like got the kids all like, you know, calmly crafting in the corner and then had this great Instagrammable like quiet time moment with the Lord. Where God met her in the story is when she's running and doesn't know where she's going and there's no plan and there's no agenda. She's just like, I don't know, but I can't be there. I feel like this is so comforting for our purposes because I think we often find ourselves in life in a spot where we're maybe not even sure of exactly what we're hoping for or where we're headed or what we want to see happen next. All we know is Everything's broken back there, and I'm just trying to get out of the brokenness any way that I can. It's comforting to know, man, this is where God meets her. Her, Hagar, a minor story and a bigger story about Abraham. She flees from Abraham, and God meets her there. It's really beautiful. Uh, reading a little bit further on, this is how the angel of the Lord continues to speak to her in verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So here is God explained to her, I, look, okay, I'm certain that God was compassionate to her plight. Like, I'm sure that God knew what was happening, like, in, in, like, her home situation and why she was fleeing, but God says to her, I want you to go back into that. Now, there's all kinds of reasons for us not to go back into difficult situations, but here is God with love in his heart for Hagar saying, hey, I understand you're hurting. I understand you're broken. This is what I want you to do. Go back into that situation. I know it's impossible, but I'm sending you there because here's what I'm going to do. He sends her back with, without fixing the situation, without giving her peace in the, in the setting she's in, but sends her back with a promise that one day he is going to make her into this great nation. It's crazy because that's the same promise that he gave to Abraham earlier. Abraham's the big character, and God's going to make him a nation. And he says, I want you to go back, and I'm not going to fix it, and you're not going to see anything look visibly different for a minute, but I'm sending you back with this promise. And part of that promise is she's giving him this son, or he's giving uh, Hagar this son, and the son's name is going to be Ishmael. And Ishmael means God hears. And so God is sending her back, go back to the brokenness, you can do this. I'll be with you. And I want you to remember that because every time you look at this child that's yours, remember his name means God hears. So come back. Go back into that flawed, difficult situation 
with the promise knowing that I am listening and that I hear you, even if it doesn't look like anything has changed. I, I, what I've been learning about Emmanuel this week is, man, we've got these candles here that we're going to keep lighting. And we looked at the candle of love and how our church family got to come around, around the Oxfords in a time where they're just broken. Um, we've now lit the candle of hope, and it's with the stewards, and they're sharing about, like, we don't know how the story ends, but God is giving us enough, enough hope to go on. Emmanuel, God with us, does not mean that we have full, perfect experiences of love or hope or of peace or of joy that we're going to look at. It doesn't mean that those things are filled up in our tanks, and it's like, man, everything is so peaceful, God must be with me, right? Stories like this remind us that God being with us works in any environment, in any situation. Like it was that these truths of God with us were claimed by Christians in the Colosseum when they were being thrown to the lions just as much as they are claimed by us when we're in our comfortable church services and remembering these beautiful things. God is with his people regardless of the situation. And so he sends her back with a promise that he's present, that he's with her. And, and, and here's what happens with um, Hagar. She says in verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, there, uh, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. What Hagar does is she names God. She gives God a name. God names her son Ishmael. She looks back and gives God a name. El Roy, the God who sees. She's the first person in the Bible to name God, which is kind of like presumptuous, I think, to name God. She's sometimes called the first theologian because this is what she does. She's naming God. She says, you have seen me in the midst of my thing. And so she goes back into this whole deal. Now, there's a few other things that happen, some kind of big picture, kind of big things that God does in the story. We're going to jump ahead to Genesis 21, and Hagar comes back again. And, and we would hope everything fixed, right? But you know better. It's not going to be fixed. God has come, and he's given, he's given to 100-year-old Abraham uh, and to old Sarah a child, okay? And this child's name is Isaac, and so God has, like, fulfilled his promise, and they see, okay, the whole thing didn't work out with Hagar, but, like, God finally answered the prayer. And in, in verse 5 of Genesis 21, we get another experience of Emmanuel. It says, Abraham was 100, uh, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So here's Emmanuel now, God with us with Sarah and with Abraham. And it's beautiful, right? He's, he's coming to them and just, okay, yes, I know this was hard. I know you're suffering, but here is the promise. Finally, after all this time, you waited until you thought it wasn't possible to have kids anymore. But here I am. I'm the God that can do anything about anything. And so this is Sarah's Emmanuel moment. And God is there. And she's just saying, man, like I, I see my child and I'm so happy that I just laugh, you know? So she names her son Isaac, which means laughter. And she's like, everyone that hears this is going to laugh with me. This is going to be amazing. There's an irony in that, as we'll see. And so we'll go in the next verses. Verse 8. The child grew, this is Isaac, grew and was weaned. And so he's maybe now three. And Ishmael, by this point, is going to be maybe like 13 to 19 years old, somewhere in there. Abraham, uh, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Uh, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. We'll keep reading on just a little bit more. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of a child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. Okay, this got dark, all right? So you thought the earlier part of the story was messed up when she's fleeing in the wilderness and God meets her there. But now it's gotten worse. So it starts with laughter and they're all laughing about Isaac and Sarah's just like, this is the best. He's, he's laughing, I'm laughing, everyone who sees this is going to be laughing, it's going to be amazing. But then she sees Ishmael laughing. And, and, and it's possible that like Ishmael was mocking him or it's possible that Sarah was just looking and seeing this older son laughing and she's like, oh no, this is not my laughing son. Like we got to do something about this. And so Sarah decides, I want everyone to laugh about this, but not you. And so she again decides she's going to destroy Hagar's life. I, Sarah's, Sarah's tough for me in this, but I, I know she's um, a lovely woman, but she's tough in this story, okay? <laughs> um, the way she's portrayed. Um, Anyway, I don't know where that came from. Um, but but now, now Hagar is like in this impossible place of like, uh, like she's on the run once again. Now, God comes to Abraham, which is sweet, and reassures Abraham that everything's going to be okay. And he tells Abraham, like, it's okay. You can send her out. Um, I, like, I'm going to make a great nation out of this child as well. So Abraham kind of knows how it goes. I, I feel it hard, a hard time having a lot of sympathy for Abraham once again because he sends her with, like, bread and a bit of water. And you're like, man, I feel like, you know, could you spare a donkey or two? Like, like let's get her some more. And it doesn't work. Like, whatever he thought he was doing to help— like, she gets to a spot where the water runs out, right? And, and, and Hagar is just here in this spot of like, okay, this is literally as far as we can go. My son is like stopped here. And so she puts him down and she's just like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go over here so I don't have to watch my son. Like, this is it. Like, this is, this is the end. And so whatever promise God had made to Hagar, um, like, you know, the clock, the last few seconds are chipping off the clock. And he's just like, she's just saying, okay, God, like, I know you made this promise, but this is it. This is your last chance, and this is it. And so she just sits down, and she weeps, and it's heartbreaking. It's, like, terrible to come to these places where, like, like on a lesser scale, hopefully you've never experienced this and never have to, but on a much smaller scale, right, we have these times where it's like, man, you know, God spoke to me in the past. There was a time that God was very real to me, and he reassured me, and Hagar had that experience. God was really real to her and sent her back, and this is going to be okay. But here she is later, and she has absolute total proof. You, you, you can almost not have more conclusive proof than this, that God was lying before, or that you misunderstood him before, or that maybe he's not real after all. Maybe I hallucinated the whole thing. She's at a point where it's like, that, like, what God said to me before has not come true. Like, this is over. And that's where she's at at the end of this story. I mean, this is a tough thing, especially for the Christmas season. But don't worry. It gets just a little bit better. So here we go. Verse 17. It gets amazingly better. Here it comes. God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. Uh, this, by the way, that statement is a clear uh, God with us statement, right? An Emmanuel statement. God was with the boy and he grew up. 
He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him there from the land of Egypt. This is now the end of the story. It looked like the last one was, doesn't it? There was a few seconds left on the clock, but God comes in with this amazing buzzer beater, and he's just saying, like, Hagar, what's going on? Like, don't worry. And, and, and what happens, like, if you, like, there's this well that's just sitting there, okay? I, what God does, he doesn't come and dig a well. He doesn't come and miraculously make a well. What God does is he comes and he clears her eyes somehow. He opens her eyes so that she can see there was actually like a well there the entire time. This whole scene from God's perspective must have been so funny because, okay, that, that's, um, I'll take that back. There was an irony probably in this situation for God, okay? That feels a lot more theologically safe um, because all this is happening and she's just lying down to die with no water and God's like, but there's like a well, like literally, like you're resting your head on a well, like that's how I kind of picture it. Um, and so God has to open her eyes and show her, no, my, my provision has been there the entire time. You just weren't able to see it. it it's, it's seriously, it's just, like a, it's just like me at home and I'm like, uh, Laura, we're out of peanut butter. And she's like, no, it's like in the cupboard. And I'm like looking at the peanut butter like there's none here. And she has to come over, you know. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think this is, this is the whole thing. I mean, how tragic for Hagar. I think it really was. I, I'm not trying to make light of the scene. Like it was absolutely tragic. And she's at the end of the whole thing. And she's just there. And she's like, there is nothing to be done. There are no provisions. There's nothing. And God just comes and says, yes, there is. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to help you see that, like, my provision was sitting there the entire time. You, we just need to get you to it, right? And this is the graciousness of God. I, I want us to see again, he's not pulling her out of the wilderness this time. He actually doesn't. He, the, she stays. Like, the, uh, Hagar's future is always forever now in the wilderness, in the desert. Ishmael's future is in the wilderness. But what God does, rather than taking her out of it, he shows her Here's a well. There's water. I'm going to provide for you here. He, God is with the boy, and he grows up, and he lives in that wilderness, that place that was the end of it all, the place that was without any hope, the place that was beyond fixing. God shows up there and is with them there and, and creates this home and creates this new life for them in the midst of it. It's this really beautiful thing with this direct statement that God is with Ishmael in this, and he grows up in that space. It's a beautiful picture of the whole thing. And, and just even that idea of her, her growing up in this new place, um, our ladies uh, with Nurture, we're going through the book of Genesis a while back, and Priscilla talking about this passage calls attention to, she says, you know, for someone like Hagar, who had been like enslaved and who was in this place with all this, all this constraint and all this stuff around her, getting to live now her life out in the wilderness where there's just freedom, right? She gets to live and, survive and create a new life out there on her own terms with Ishmael. It must have felt like freedom to her. The big thing I want us to see is simply this. It's a lifeless place. God doesn't solve every problem. Um, God doesn't fix the dynamics with, with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. There, there's no like big hug of reconciliation at the end, though I wish there was, and certainly there will be in heaven. Um, but there's not this picture of God tidied it all up, and then they experienced Emmanuel, you know, and they, they lit the Christmas candle. Everything was great. No, it was a it was a broken one. It was a hard one. But God was with them, and God showed them provision that they had no eyes to be able to see, no way to be able to recognize that it was there. And, and my, my invitation for you based on this and, and with this whole Christmas season is, um, again, man, if you're doing great, I am so happy. Like, I am too. Let's party. Let's drink eggnog and be happy together. 
if you're not, if you're not, I just want you to know that is the conditions are right for Emmanuel. Like that, that's the whole thing. Like if you're heartbroken, if you're lonely, if, if you're depressed, if you're like feeling far from God, these are all the right conditions to where God in those settings continually comes to people and he's just with them. And, and it doesn't always feel great and it doesn't always solve everything. And you don't always, you're not always at the end of your story. But in the midst of that, even when it feels like the end of your story in a bad way, God is still there, and he's working. And my prayer for us, man, is that as we just keep going um, through these times and this season, um, whether things are great or not, as we keep going through, my prayer is that God will just keep opening our eyes and helping us see that he's there, right? See that he's with us. See his provision. See the way that he's working. See the life that he's inviting us into. That's, that's my prayer. It's a simple point, um, but, but it's, it's one of those things that's, man, you know, so much of our frustration with God, I think, comes often from, our expectations of what it would look like for him to show up. And I feel like so much of what the Bible is about is that God is with us and working even when we have no ability to perceive that he is. Um, so let's just, uh, let's just rest in that fact this morning. We're going to sing uh, a couple more songs. Let me pray for us as we process all that. Lord, I am so thankful for these words and for this story. Lord, it, it such an old story, such a beautiful story, and Lord, I'm just thankful that for this reminder that you're with us. Um, thank you for, for Hagar and the reminder that you're a God who hears. Thank you for the reminder that you're a God who sees. Um, thank you even for, for Isaac and the reminder that you're a God who brings laughter. And Lord, I just, I, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you here and myself, and I just, I know, Lord, how easy it is for us to miss the things that you're doing, to not be able to see the provision that's sitting right there next to us. Lord, you're so good, and you're so present, and your, your, your plan is so big picture, and everything really does work together so beautifully. I, I, I feel so much confidence in that. Um, but Lord, thank you for this reminder that you even come to the minor characters, and you even show up there um, in ways when it, when it seems like everything is lost, and Lord, there you are, and you're working. May we see that in our lives. May you open our eyes to what we need to see. Lord, would you be with us? Lord, even, even Lord, be with us when we don't recognize it when, it, when we're too blind to see it. Lord, still be with us there. But also, Lord, help us to see and to know and to embrace your presence in all these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.